Welcome to Washoe Life, which is brought to you by the Communications Division here at Washoe County. This podcast series is designed to bring you a reflection of life in Washoe County and to meet our residents who are contributing to our community. I'm your co-host, Nancy Lewin-Hagen. And I'm co-host, Bethany Drysdale. You know, when we started this thing, the whole point was to tell the stories of people making a difference in our community. Uh, we want to go beyond the press release, beyond the, the tweet or, you know, the announcement and really talk to the people who are making a difference. And today's topic is a perfect example. Yes, it is, Bethany. April is National Donate Life Month. And today's podcast is dedicated to taking those markers and milestones and all of our podcasts, actually, and hearing stories behind these movements and these months you hear about. Our guest today, Reno resident John Dutch. John, welcome to Washoe Life. Well, thank you for inviting me here. It's a pleasure. We are very honored to have you here today. Uh, John is the recipient of a heart transplant, which you received as a young man. And uh, what led you to get up to, to get on that list? Well, when I was six years old, way back in 1959, I had an acute case of rheumatic fever. I was in the hospital for two months with that, and... How come a rheumatic fever can't affect your heart? And in my case, it did. I had a, a quite severe heart murmur in my aortic heart valve. Okay. Um, when I was 19 years old, um, due to a strange thing, a, an allergy actually, I had a tachycardia. A tachycardia is a, is a form of a heart attack. And basically what it is, your heart takes off and goes running rampant. When I went to the hospital... It was beating 240 beats a minute. Wow. So it was like it was jumping out of my chest and running down the road. And you're 19 years old. And I was 19 yeah. years old. I was in college at the time in Spokane, Washington. Um, I ended up having in within immediately going to the hospital. Uh, they had to actually stop my heart and restart it to get me to come out of the tachycardia. And then immediately referred me to a cardiologist. He tested me and, and decided that I had actually, during that tachycardia, finished blowing out the heart valve. So I was now pumping on three cylinders, you might say, instead of all four. And they told me I basically needed to get have open-heart surgery, and this was 1972, and have an artificial heart valve put in. So I, I went through the surgery, but by the time they got me into surgery, my heart had enlarged to the size of a football. They put in the artificial heart valve, hoped the heart would go back down. It did not. The artificial, you know, valve and the heart lasted for 25 years, okay? Um, and then I ended up suffering from cardiomyopathy, congestive heart failure. And basically what it means is the heart had grown so big and was so large and pumped so long, it lost its elasticity. So it wasn't pumping. I was just barely passing blood through my body. Uh, my cardiologist here in Reno recommended me to go to Salt Lake City and be uh, tested to see, you know, if I would be a candidate for and, and needed a heart transplant. So in January of, of 1997, I went to the University of Utah and was tested and and they came out and after the week of testing, they came to me and two of the doctors in the transplant program came to me and said, well, John, we have good news and bad news. And I said, well, what's, what's your, go ahead and tell me what the bad news is. And they said, well, the bad news is you need a heart transplant. 
The good news is with your evaluation, we would be glad to list you on our list and you would be number two on the list. And which meant I had to move to Salt Lake City and I moved there on February 6, 1997. Wow. And are you with your family at this point? Did everybody pick up and move? No, no. My wife was, uh, and I had three children. All three of them were in school. My wife was here. So I basically, we bought what did we bought a travel trailer. They had a place there at the university to, for trailers. And my father went with me. And then a couple months later, my youngest daughter came over and joined us there. And we enrolled her in school there. So, Wow. And nice support system there. Yeah, that, that's excellent. So how long did you have to, to wait? What, what happened next? Well, uh, you're looking at the luckiest person in the world. Um, I was listed officially on February 6, 1997. The average weight at that point in time for a heart transplant was close to two years. Okay. Um, you don't make the list unless in the doctor's evaluation, if something, you know, new science doesn't come along or something like that, or you don't have a transplant, your life expectancy is about two years. I was extremely fortunate that I was, I got the call to receive my transplant three months to the day on May 6th. Wow. So on May 6th, coming up, the big anniversary for me, it'll be 25 years with a heart transplant. Go ahead. That, that's a lifetime. That, that's really, really incredible. And you're right, luckiest guy in the world. <laughs> now, uh, so you get the transplant. Can you tell us the circumstances of how you received the heart you have now? Well, I was uh, on the transplant list, and then I got the call, and I was staying in the area, and I was reported to the hospital. Um, and basically, it was an individual that was a young man. He was he was 24 years old, um, had died in a motorcycle accident there in in Utah. He was from Brigham, Utah. And, of course, he died there at the university hospital, okay? And so I received a 24-year-old's heart, and I was 44 years old at the time. Wow. And you've talked to us before. I'm wondering if you can tell our listeners kind of that relationship or how, how that felt getting somebody else's heart and that relationship with a family who, who lost a loved one for that. Well, one of the things that you do there that they offer you to do, and my wife and I did it, was after we received a transplant and everything was successful and I was doing good, but still there in Utah, um, we wrote a, sat down and wrote a letter to the family, okay? It was, we, you know, expressed our appreciation. We told them we could tell them our first names and mention our children. I could tell them I was from Nevada, but I couldn't tell them from what city I was from. I couldn't give my last name. And then we sent the letter to the Oregon Procurement Agency in Utah, and they forward the letter on to the family, okay? And then if the family wants to make contact or whatever, they can do the reverse situation. They write a letter, you know, and send it to the procurement agency, and they would forward it on to us. Um, unfortunately, you know, and it, it's people's choice. And, of course, I was honored and happy to write a letter and we did so immediately, and uh, 
but didn't hear anything back. And, and I was okay with that because it's their choice. You know, I, you know, whether they want to, you know, keep her living that moment or not, it's up to the family. Um, got a great story though for you. And I'll, I'll tell you. Um, and that, that leads to that. I, I wanted to say, so it, before we get to your story that does involve the NBA it does. jazz, yes. um, how many years from when you wrote the letter to when you had this incredible experience that you're about to tell us. Well, when I had the surgery, I need a little background on there. When I had the surgery done in May of, of 1997, that was the first year that the Utah Jazz was in the playoff with the Chicago Bulls. Okay, so they were they had games there in, in Salt Lake, and the university sits up on the hill on the east side of Salt Lake, and we sat there in the parking lot where our trailer was parked, and my wife and I, and... And we could look down in town and see the helicopters flying above and the searchlights like that and go in and, and watch the TV and watch the jazz game. So we became, you know, popular fans of the Utah Jazz. We kind of put it, you know, associated it with the good things that was happening in our lives. Um, two years later, and the once again, the Jazz were in playoffs, in semifinals, and they were playing the Sacramento Kings. So we decided, well, let's let's see if we can take in a Kings game. So we got tickets and drove over to Sacramento to watch the, the playoff games. We had great tickets right up behind the, the jazz bench. And my wife was, you know, a, a typical fan. She made up big signs for us to hold up and, you know, and cheer on the, the, the jazz. And I don't know if anybody has ever been to the, the kingdom there in, in Sacramento, but they are rabid. Yeah, uh, they, yeah, they, yeah they, they, and, and good for them. You know, they really support their team. <clears throat> when, when, but we were like the only jazz fans in the kingdom. So every time the jazz would make up, there would be, th- there'd be four of us standing up. My daughters went with us and hold these signs, you know, like that. And, you know, we didn't get booed or hissed or thrown out, but it was still kind of, you know, we, we definitely stood, stood out in the crowd. About halfway through the first quarter, uh, I was sitting in the end row, end seat, and I got a tap on the shoulder, and I looked up, and here's this young lady, and she looked at me, and she goes, are you guys the jazz fans? And I was a little reluctant to say yes, but <laughs> I said yes, and she said, well, are you, are you guys from Salt Lake? Did you come over from Salt Lake? And I said, no. She goes, are you, do you live in Sacramento? And I said, no. She goes, well, where are you from? And I said, well, we're from Reno, Nevada. And she goes, you're jazz fans? And my wife spoke up and said, I can tell you a great story about it. And she just kind of mentioned that, you know, I had the surgery two years ago in Salt Lake. And she asked, she goes, are you guys you know, going to be staying in Sacramento tonight? And we said, yes. She goes, I want to come by and interview you in the morning. She goes, this would be a great human interest story to tell. So the next morning they came by the hotel where we were staying and interviewed us. And, and they said, well, this will be playing tonight on TV back in Salt Lake City at 5 o'clock. So we called some friends that we had made there and told them, hey, you know, we got we have a couple minutes or 15 minutes worth of fame coming on. Could you record it for us? And they said yes. And so we drove back to Reno, and about, it was probably about 5 o'clock Reno time, which was there were an hour behind them. And I get a phone call, and I answered the phone and there was this kind of real silence for a second then there was this quivering voice saying she goes is this John Dutch and I said yes and 
And she goes, well, I don't know how to tell you this, but she says, but I just come out and tell you, she goes, you have my brother's heart. Oh my gosh. Wow. She had just had a baby. And so she was home with her newborn and she goes, it was, it's kind of a, you know, one of the things that is just meant to be because she goes, she goes, John, she goes, I had the TV on, I was listening to the news and she goes, it was a TV station that I, I don't normally watch. And she goes, they mentioned your story, and she says, I immediately go to my purse, and they had given a copy of my letter from, to the family, to every family member, and she carried hers in her purse. And as she pulled out the letter and they interviewed me, she said, it matched up. She goes, everything was a match. She goes, you have my brother's heart. Wow. Very, uh, very emotional phone call, as you can imagine, you know, on, on both of our side. And I mentioned that that we'd be going to Salt Lake for an annual checkup in May and suggested that, you know, we'd love to meet you if you guys would like to meet us. And so over time we made arrangements in. So when we went over there in May for the next checkup, it would be my two-year checkup. Um, after the checkup, we drove up to Brigham City, which is about an hour north of Salt Lake City. That's where the family was from. And we were going to meet in a neutral place. And so we met in the park there in, in Brigham City. And as we, when we drove up to the park, we were just amazed. The park was full of people. It was, there was signs and balloons and, and like that, you know, and kids running around. And, and we got out and were greeted. And it was all of his family. Uh, his name was, was Ferris Monson. And Ferris had three sisters. They were there with their husbands their children. He had uh, one brother. He was there with his wife and children, and his parents were there. And his wife was there with his two young daughters. Um, and and believe it or not, then there, there was a TV station there, too. They had contacted the TV station that they saw the interview, and they came to the reunion as well. So they got to memorialize the meeting and, and, and meet their family. I got to meet the family, the wonderful family, and found out that uh, Ferris's youngest daughter was born the day I was listed for the transplant. So she was only three, three months old when her father died. Wow. So this young man and his family, um, what was it like to, to meet them? Um, you told us earlier... Um, you had an interaction with them where they they really just embraced you. There, no awkwardness. Can you can you tell us about that? Well, with a lump in my throat. Yeah, <laughs> mine too, uh, and mine as well. Yeah, and meeting them, it was they were just you know common everyday folks with you know hearts as big as you can get. You know, um, they all welcomed me. The, the the one thing that was very interesting, and you know, and I don't blame them, and was glad to do it was. Each and every one of them asked me to come up and asked me to let me lay their, put their ear on my chest and listen to you, their, their husband's heart or their father's heart or their brother's or their, or their child's. And, and we were there for several hours. It was just, you know, they were just the nicest people you'd ever want to meet. Um, and, you know, they, they told stories about that and, told me that, that Ferris had died in a motorcycle accident. Um, and in Utah, there's, you don't re, 
they're not helmets are not required, um, and he suffered severe head, you know, head damage or injuries, and that's why he had passed away. Um, we when we got ready to leave, one of the one of the sweetest things, his mother walked with me out to the car as we were leaving, and she bent down and gave me a big hug and whispered in her ear. She goes, John. She goes, I am glad you got my son's heart. Wow, it's the ultimate. I, I have to say, this is the second time I've, I've met you, I've talked with you. I feel like you have the kindest heart, and, and I'm sure your your previous heart was, you seem like one of the kindest people that I, so I feel like you just must have meshed right in with these people as, as a family member. We did, and, and, and we have since become, you know, you know, family to each other. You know, I consider them to be my family. They can, they consider all of us to be, you know, my family be part of their family. Uh, and, you know, and his wife, she is the sweetest thing you ever want to meet, you know. And, you know, every time we go to Salt Lake, we get together. Um, his mother and a couple of sisters have actually come to Reno, and we've got together with them. Um, so they really are, they're, they're family now. Uh, and uh, the important you know one of the nicest things they've never asked anything of me or my wife other than to be family they've never asked for a single thing and i and i I, and that's i can't tell you how important that is you know it's it's, that you know um and and i would do anything for them but all they want to do is be you know keep in contact and be family your family received an amazing gift through this heart they received decades more with their father, um, decades more of the family. But the other family also received a gift. They get to see their son really live on in somebody else. They do, and and they were they they when they got my letter, they were very appreciated. And 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 a couple of the family members had had have told me, you know, when they that. You know, for a while they weren't sure did they do the right thing because Ferris had not signed up to be a donor, but his wife, when they when they told him that she she approved it and he became a donor and they and um, they've told me that you know they kind of questioned their decision until they until they got Mar letter and then realized that they had done the right thing and were very grateful for it. We have another extraordinary story that we have to, before we let you go, we have to hear this story. One more that you got to do for Ferris's daughter. I did. One of the greatest honors that I can say that was, was, has given to me and, and, you know, from the transplant was uh, about two and a half years ago, Ferris's oldest daughter was getting married. And Cheryl and I went over to to Brigham, Utah, to go to the wedding. Um, when we got there, I got a phone call from from uh, his daughter, and she asked me, she goes, John, she goes, would you walk with me down the aisle with my stepfather? And I can't tell you, even explain what that meant. But what it meant to her was, as, as we walked down the aisle with her, is, Part of her father was there with her. Yes, it wasn't. It wasn't me. It was a part of her living father was still there. She could live there, and you know, f- you know, hear his heartbeat. Hear, you know, feel the pulse. 
And of course, we were family at that point in time and still are. But it was really, it was an honor of her father. And I was, you know, great honor to do that. And it meant an awful lot to me. It really did. It was like, it was some way of repaying and some way of saying thank you. You know, it's, it's how do you truly thank somebody for the gift of life? You can't. You know, you can tell them what it means and like that. But to me, the best way to honor it is, is to live my life to the fullest, enjoy every sunrise, enjoy every sunset, and learn to smell the flowers. I think that's good advice for all of us. I, I want to bring in Candy Ramos. Candy, uh, this is, we met John through you. Candy's a staff member here at, at Washoe County Communications Division. You used to work for the... Yes, I used to work for Donor Network West, um, which is the uh, organ procurement organization in northern Nevada. And so we work with generous donor families like Ferris's family um, to uh, facilitate those recoveries and then the transplantation of organs into wonderful people like John. So I did have the chance to meet John while working there. And in honor of Donate Life Month, I knew he would have the perfect story. And the best, the best ever. And, and I would say... When we talk about this, there's an average of 600 people in Nevada waiting for transplants. Yes. So about 100,000 people nationwide are waiting for a life-saving organ transplant, 600 of them right here in Nevada. And um, it's only thanks to the generosity of donor families that these people are being transplanted. But unfortunately, people are still dying waiting for those organ transplants. So you you don't... One thing that people may not know is that you can't uh, get a transplant here, but you can get on the list. Yes. So um, if someone is ill enough where they require an organ transplant, um, they are then referred to one of the nearby organ um, transplant centers. So that's typically Northern California, um, potentially Arizona, um, Utah. So um, unfortunately, there are no transplant centers here in Northern Nevada, but you can um, become a donor here in Northern Nevada. And then those organs are transplanted elsewhere. And organ donation, of course, gets all the glory, but you can really change a life with tissue um, donations, um, cornea transplants, skin grafts. So um, it really make a, a difference, change somebody's life just by marking that on your driver's license that you'll be a donor. Absolutely. Um, I think tissue transplantation and donation is sort of the unsung hero in the donate life world, we hear these incredible stories like John's with heart transplants, and it's just absolutely amazing. But um, there's also very heroic tissue donors. So people who've donated, as you mentioned, corneas, heart valves, skin um, to aid with burn victims and and other ways. And so it really is just the gift of life, whether it's life-saving or life-enhancing through tissue donation. The biggest takeaway, and John said it, but let's say it again, is to tell your family. Right? Because even if you check, you've got to tell the family. Yes. Yes, absolutely. We hear this, um, unfortunately, quite a bit working in the uh, organ procurement organization. Um, We will approach donor families or potential donor families, and sometimes they were unaware that their loved one was a registered donor, um, and that can come as a surprise to them. Or if they, in Ferris's case, um, he was not a registered donor, and at the most difficult time of his family's life, Here's another decision being placed upon them. So we do encourage people to have these conversations. They're not fun, um, but it's important to have them with your family. Right. And and I'm sure you get asked, John, uh, why? Why should you do it? Or uh, do you have a do you have things that you tell people? Or do you just say, look at me? <laughs> well, I say look at me, but, you know, and, and think about really, 
you know, those of us that are at least 25 years or older is, you know, that's how much life, extended life I have got so far. And I'm not done yet. You know, I plan on, uh, I'm a, I have organ donation on my driver's license, but I plan on wearing out everything if possible. So, um, and, but it's, you know, it's meant to, and it mean you know, to people, it's like 25 years, what has happened to me in the last 25 years? Well, I've had 25 more years with my beautiful bride. I've got to see my three children graduate not only high school and college. I've got to see my daughter get married. I got to see my son become a principal here in Washoe County. And my, and my youngest daughter works for a health agency here. And so I've got to see them grow into adults and be fantastic people. Um, I've also was able then to continue working. I just retired from the University of Nevada here with 30 years in. So it meant that I had 25 more years of service that I could give to the university. So, you know, I, I am extremely thankful. I am, and I will also tell you, I am blessed beyond means. Um, and, and I'm just, I feel an obligation to tell people what it's meant to me and, and what it's meant to the family too, the, the, the donor family. It's meant a lot to them as well. Yours is an incredible story, and if we can just tell our listeners, be a rainbow in somebody else's cloud. Register as a donor. Go to DonateLife.org. Register to become an organ or tissue donor um, when you go to DMV, and tell your family. It is so important. That can be the biggest hurdle. Thank you, John, for joining us. Your story is just incredible, and this is our this is our mission here to tell stories like yours, so that our listeners, um, so the really our the public here knows what they can do to make a difference in their community as well. Thank you so much for joining us on Washoe Life. We'll be back in a few weeks with our next episode. I'm Nancy Lewin Hagen. Goodbye, everybody. Have a great one. <laughs>